Hi, how are you? Hope you're being on. Hi. <laughs> We're just going to keep this show on the road, man. This is real life, baby. It's winter and uh, life is good. Life is good. Anyway, so lovely to see you. Thank you for being here. Um, This is this. Okay, so. The topic we're going to start today has been very, very much requested for a very long time, and I'm really glad that we're able to jump in, get going, um, but we're going to be talking about chrysanthemums for two weeks. Um, this was the first week, and then next week we'll wrap it up. Um, so the reason that this is going to be kind of broken out into two pieces is because there's a lot to talk about. Um we we could easily just say and like skim over everything and say oh blah 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 here's your four steps to become a professional heirloom chrysanthemum grower blah 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 bullshit okay sister that's not how this works um and i'm not a professional i'm just a guy who's happened to be doing this for a little bit and i have some things to share um but i i want to make sure that we're able to cover this in in as much depth as we need to to make sure that um we're kind of presenting this in a in a a comfortable easy easy to consume manner so that's what we're gonna be talking about um my name is drew thank you for being here this is the between me and drew podcast uh with clara joyce flowers uh clara joyce flowers is my specialty cut flower and foliage farm located in the northwestern corner of illinois we're about an hour from Iowa and about 30 minutes from Wisconsin. Um, so we're really tucked up in the corner of the state. And um, we've been growing uh, flowers for for a little bit. Um, our our business is kind of debo- d- broken uh, into three pieces. Um, so we are a little diverse in that, in that manner. Um, we do wholesale cut flowers where we deliver and ship to... Um, florists and design houses in our surrounding area. We um, also do a full wedding and event design schedule from, it's usually like April through November into December. Um, so we'll do 60 to 75 weddings every season. And then the last third is where we do uh, tubers and plant material. And that's kind of what we're we're doing right now since we are in the winter season. Um, so the half the crew is busy working on tubers. The other half is um, outside digging up plant material, getting ready to propagate. Um, and then the propagation house is ripping and roared and ready to go. Um, all of our mother stock in there looks fantastic. So I'm super, super excited for this upcoming season. Anyway, it's enough bullshit. Um, we're going to kind of cover the first half of how we approach or I was going to say present, but it's, it's more so how we approach, um, growing mums. Um, so we're going to talk about, you know, kind of why they're unique and lovely and special. Um, and then we're going to move through, uh, the first things you should be doing. Uh, so site prep, uh, and selection, irrigation, how we handle that, uh, planting out, growing out, pinching and supporting, and then we're going to stop there um, because next week we're going to we're going to do a deep dive into everything else. So I also have a little uh, project 
that I've been working on that I haven't really shared on social media yet. But um, since there is so much interest in mums, um, I wrote up a little pamphlet. Oh, God, I almost spilled my LaCroix. I'm so excited. <laughs> I wrote up a little pamphlet. Uh, it's called An Intro to Heirloom Chrysanthemums. Um, I'll have it on the website here soon. Um, so I'm very, very excited, and uh, we will be shipping this because it's an actual thing you can hold in your hand. Uh, it's not an ebook. It's not available as an ebook. Um, it's a piece of print material, and I'm very excited for you to get your hands on this. So, anyway, let's go. Um, so the magic of the queen diva of the fall um, has lots and lots of things going for her, and this is. We're, this is the heirloom chrysanthemum. She is the, the diva of the fall. Um, and the reason why they are so fantastic um, kind of somewhat overlaps with dahlias and the reason that dahlias are so so wonderful. Um, but in a lot of ways, they're very, very different in the benefit. Uh, and and w we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so they're lovely for lots of reasons. Uh, beautiful colors, immense, immense uh, diff of different petal forms. Um, you have got like the super duper big fancy ones that are going to be a little more late blooming, um, where they you know have layers and layers and layers of petals. Um, you've got the northern bred ones that are going to be blooming earlier. So if you're working with both early and late blooming varieties, you're going to have show for a very very long time in the fall. Um, so that's it's a huge bonus. They do have a tremendous vase life. Um, a, a week to two weeks is n not out of the question at all. Um, you can hold them for weeks and weeks and weeks in your cooler for event work um, if, if that's you know something that you need to do. Um, and I think that's one of the huge differences between mums and dahlias is that they just have so much of a difference in performance. Um, you know, dahlias are lovely. They're, you know, very lush, water-dense. Um, they are of an early fall treat. But once you get frosts into the system, um, your field dahlias are, are done. They're kind of not super great anymore. Um, and it, with dahlias, they just, they just don't last that long. You know, they are an event flower or a short-term short market flower. Um, so they, they're not going to be able to to uh, uh, com compete with the long vase life that we're used to with, with mums. Um, so that's huge. Um, like I just touched on earlier, the petaling is fantastic. Um, we, with a lot of the dahlias that we're seeing on the market now, you're working with a little bit of a larger petal, so cafe au lait, uh, snowbound, and then once you get into more of your ball and, and even water lily varieties too, you've got a larger visual petal that you're working with. Um, now, when you get into mums, you still have that same volume, if not more, of petals or count, petal count, but the petals are smaller. So it's more uh, ornate. Um, it, there's more detail. It's just uh, very easy for your eye to slip into a chrysanthemum and think and just like get caught up in it. Um, so it's very fun as well. Um, with that, this is kind of kind of roll us into site prep. Um, one of the main things with mums is that uh, they usually don't bloom or even start to bloom until after our first frosts here uh, in where we are at, 
Um, and we are zone 5A, 5B, take it for what it's worth. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that's something that we have to kind of keep in mind when we are, you know, talking about um, selecting a, a site prep and selecting a, a space to grow in site prep, et cetera. Um, because we grow all of our heirloom mums under plastic or under cover of some sort. So we don't even try to grow mums out in the field anymore. We used to do our early blooming ones outside. And it worked for a little bit until it didn't. And then I was like, shit, this is not good. Uh, and the reason it didn't work is because for two years we had a, a relatively long season and our frosts really, you know, held back, didn't didn't come on super strong in October. We usually will get frosted out the second week of October. Um, but there was a, a stretch of time when we would we would make it through October totally unscathed and get into November. This year, totally different story. Um, we were, you know, frozen out the basically the first week of October. Um, so we had a little bit of a different story this year. Um, and this year is a perfect example as to why we would grow everything undercover. Now, early blooming varieties. So this is going to be things like Bridal White, uh, uh, Pumpkin Eyes, Fall Affair, Harvest Dawn. Um, those are varieties that don't necessarily have to have heat here um, in their in their tunnel or in their growing space because they're going to be an early bloomer. They're going to bloom soon enough where they will be able to be harvested um, without having to worry about or deal with a lot of that frost damage. Um, so we are going to be growing those varieties, those early blooming varieties under a farmer's friend caterpillar tunnel uh, or any kind of tunnel with one layer of, of plastic. Um, you're not going to need the two layers where it's inflated with the heat. Um, if you're just doing earlies, you should be totally fine. Um, as long as your frosts, your frost schedule um, is kind of in that middle to end of October, first part of November even. Um, if you can hit that window, you're good to go. Um, now, totally different story if we're talking about the later blooming varieties that we're, that we're working with. So that's going to be things like Crimson Tide, um, Apricot Alexis, Jefferson Park, Gertrude, etc. Um, so so amazing flowers, such amazing bloomers. They're just they're fantastic. Um, but the thing with those varieties and and late blooming varieties in general is that it really really takes them a lot of time to get into that tremendous show. Um, and and here's a here's a kind of a, a catch catchy thing with um with chrysanthemums. Um even though they do have such a prolonged vase life and you can hold them for weeks in your cooler, they really aren't going to open a whole lot after they've been harvested. And if you do hold them for a long period of time, you will notice that what does open for for petals and as that flower head matures the petals that are being formed in the center of the, the flower, because that's how chrysanthemums work, um, they're going to look a little funky. Uh, they're going to be a little bleached out. They might not look super right. The color's going to be off. And that's because they're opening in the dark and in the cold, because that's what your cooler is. Um, so the, they're just they're just not going to look super perfect. Um, so with that in mind, that's why we want to have a heated space so that A, we can, you know, even entertain the thought of them 
you know, blooming and coming to fruition in our zone. Um, and B, we don't have to hold them in a cooler that that flower and that plant material can stay on the plant uh, for as long as possible because we, we really only want to be harvesting these to order um, when it comes to the, the super special, fancy, expensive ones. Um, so it's another thing to kind of keep in mind. Um, can you oh, – here's the other thing to keep in mind or to, to remember. Um, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the majority of you that are listening to this don't live by me. Some of you might live in Oregon. Some of you might live in Montana. Some of you, who knows where? Who knows where you are? I don't. Um, Oklahoma, I don't know. Um, so the reason that matters is because you are usually, usually, not all the time, but you're usually able to track back on certain varieties to see where they were introduced to or where they were, you know, hybridized at. Um, and the reason that matters is... If you can find or figure out that, um, you know, a variety was released in Oregon State or it was released in Washington, um, relate that growing environment and that climate back to where you're at. Um, and we do this, I do this when it comes to shrub selection all the time. Um, I'm constantly looking at where where is something native to or where is that, you know, hybrid cultivated at. Um, because I want to know, like, okay, if something was bred in zone seven and the genetics, that's, that's what the original genetics were, you know, accustomed to, um, I'm zone five A. Sometimes we get, you know, really close to zone four, um, when it comes to, you know, our, our winter temperature swings. So I'm going to be able to take a wild venture and say that a zone seven plant isn't really going to be able to hold itself up over our zone five winter. Um, which takes us to another thing, another big thing to keep in mind with these mums. We are not marketing or selling these mums as perennials. Um, and this is, this is, you know, um, a, a topic of, of the larger horticultural industry. Um, the, the, the hardy mum, um, is kind of a thing of the past, just taking into account the the timeline that the general population knows mums as okay here's why when you see mums bedding mums garden mums in your grocery store in your garden center that's local to you in your wherever the hell because everybody effing sells mums in the fall um if you were to plant those in your garden or in your landscape there's a really good chance that they're not going to come back if you plant them in the fall the reason that is is because those roots and that root system and that root structure is not going to have a chance to get anchored into the soil that you have in your garden or in your landscape. And potting soil and potting media does not um, hold up very well to frost because it's usually a lighter weight media. It's, there's really no clay in it. Um, and frost is going to be able to move through that very quickly. And when that happens, that's when that center crown of that garden mum is going to be frozen out. So if you were to want a long-term perennial garden mum, you're going to need to find something that you can plant in the spring or summer so that it can get rooted into your garden. I've totally gone off the rails here. Like, <laughs> this garden mum tangent is not anywhere on my notes, but here we are. 
Um, but the reason this matters is if you were to relate this back to uh, growing, you know, cutting mums as perennials, you really need that information about where where it came from, where it came from, what, what zone it's hardy to. And that's information that I don't have because that's not how we grow. Uh, that's not the intention. That's not the purpose. Um, so keep that in mind when you're making your selections. If you don't have a, a house or a covered space or a greenhouse or a hoop house or anything um, to kind of give these plants some protection during bloom production, bloom harvest, and also over winter, um, make your decision accordingly, okay? If you have that space where you know that you're in a warmer zone and you've got, you know, uh, protection, you can pull frost cloth and et cetera, et cetera, then you have a little bit more freedom when it comes to varietals. So there you go. Okay, that took us a long time to get here. Um, let's talk about some dirt and some shit uh, because it's kind of important. Um, when you are preparing your space, there's a few things that you want preparing your space to plant out and we're planting out in the spring okay um imagine that a picture this you are in the springtime and your plants are being shipped to you blah 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 um that's where we're at in the in the season okay um you've got your spot that you'd like to grow these whether you're growing these in your landscape or you're doing them in a bed outside or you're doing them wherever i don't care um you need to know some stuff about your soil because that's Really, the most important thing about all of this is if you don't know shit about your soil, shit's not going to grow, okay? Um, so that's going to mean doing some soil tests, growing some cover crops for a few years, taking notes on how other plants and annuals can respond to the space and the soil that you're working with. Um, so all of these things matter, okay? And the reason they matter, especially when it comes to chrysanthemums, is Chrysanthemums are a long-term crop, so they're going to be in that bed space for that entire year. This is not a short-term sunflower thing where you can, you know, round out that, you know, two or three plantings in that one space. No, that's not how mums work. They, they're, they are a commitment. Um, so you have to, you know, going into this relationship, you have to know what you're, what you're dealing with. Um, you have to know your, your Enneagram. Um, and what we're looking for when it comes to soil is a few things. Um, I want to see really good drainage. Mums don't love wet feet. Okay. Um, crown rot and root rot is a big deal. Um, and soil that holds on to moisture for too long and becomes wet and mucky is not something that you're going to want to deal with. Um, we're going to want to see, you know, a nice rich soil. So lots of organic matter, a nice loam content. Um, if you're dealing with a more of a native outdoor growing, uh, soil con condition or environment, um, you're going to want to see some organic matter content in your soil. Um, if you're growing in a, in a garden bed that's been, you know, amended and worked and rototilled for years and years, you're probably in pretty good shape. Um, but if you're breaking ground on some brand new property that you just bought that who the hell knows what it was, um, you, you're going to want to, you know, get your hands into the soil, check out the soil structure. I made a podcast episode on soil. It was in the first season. So go back and find it. Um, really understanding your soil is a big deal. It's, it's important. Um, okay. That soil episode was episode 20 specific soil composition. Um, you 
if you're new to this, soil is the most important thing. Okay. Um, other things we're going to want to look for, um, bacterial, uh, or like, um, organism. That's what I was looking for. You're going to want to see some organisms because, um, we want to see worms. We want to see maybe a little bit of a grub here or there. Um, so if you were to, you know, take a little handful and put this under a microscope or a magnifying glass, you're going to want to see a little bit of life. That's always a good sign too. Once you've got those things um, kind of in place and you think you're ready to go, then we can kind of move on to the next step. Um, we're also going to want to, before we talk about irrigation, um, make sure that you have a few other things around. Um, you're going to want a um, mulch of some capacity readily available. Um, when we're growing mums in our houses, we're using a pre-burned landscape fabric and we're doing those on, I believe it's a six, it's like, no, it's like an eight inch between a six and a nine inch spacing. Um, and our beds are three feet wide. Um, and, uh, I think it is, I'm pretty sure it is a six inch spacing. Yeah, we did six inches this year and they were pretty, plenty close. Um, so we did our mums on six inches. Um, yes. Okay, cool. Oh, also, since we're here talking about soil, you should also have a general understanding of plant nutrition. Um, okay. Soil, soil is important. Yes. A basic understanding of plant nutrition is also very important. Um, and this, what we're going to talk about now can, can basically be applied to every plant that you're going to grow. Um, in a, in a certain capacity. The three primary or macro nutrients that we talk about are nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. Okay. Um, nitrogen is hugely and grossly important to vegetative and green leaf production. Okay. This matters now because when you are getting your soil tested, or taking notes to see how other plants are performing. If your nitrogen level is very low, and if on, on your soil report, when you ask for help from your local extension agency, they'll help you read this. Um, but if your nitrogen is low, we want to bring that up, okay? Um, we wanna see a pretty even ratio, or even breakdown between our three, three macros. Now, if you don't get your soil tested, and you're only going off of your previous experience, if you see plants that maybe look a little stunted or they're, they may be a little yellow over the course of the season, the leaves are, um, it, it's a sign that you don't have a lot of nitrogen. Um, plentiful nitrogen in your soil is going to result in leaves and vegetative growth that are nice and thick and dark green, um, whereas something that looks a little effed up um, might, might need some of that. The reason this is important is because since chrysanthemums are such a long-term investment crop, they have a very prolonged vegetative growth cycle. They're going to spend the, at least half of their life over the next growing season in vegetative stage. So you need to have an ample amount of nitrogen available. If your soil is not reading that as of now, you're going to want to amend this. 
So composted manures, composted leaves, um, adding a fertilizer to your soil, a slow-release fertilizer is good. Um, standard miracle Grow will work just fine. If you're buying fertilizer on a larger scale from your local ag cooperative, um, you know, it wouldn't hurt to put some of that down if you're if you're needing a little boost. If you're not needing a boost and everything's kosher, you're good to go. You're totally fine. So this leads us into the next uh, step, um, you know, thing that we approach, and that's irrigation. Um, because we're growing our, what are we talking about? Chrysanthemums. Because we're growing our chrysanthemums in a greenhouse, um, we're, we're going to do these via, uh, irrigate these via drip irrigation. Um Everything that we're growing here on the farm that's irrigated for a for a, a, a cut product is going to be done via drip. It's the way our farm is set up. Um, it is a system that works very very well. Um, once you understand how drip irrigation systems work, you can pare and dummy them down as needed. Um, again, there is another episode. Would you believe that? I did a whole episode just on irrigation. Wow. Um, again, episode 22, two episodes after <laughs> the specific soil composition episode from season one. Uh, it's all there. It tells you what to do, people we use, resources, etc. Um, okay. The reason that we're going to do drip irrigation for chrysanthemums is a few things. Um, again, going back to the thought of this is a long-term crop, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to alleviate as much disease and bacterial, uh, presence, um, as possible. And when we're growing on really close, uh, spaces like we do both in, our houses and structures and in the beds themselves because we're only putting these plants in at like six inch spacing that's that's pretty damn tight um i need to make sure that we don't have at any um unnecessary or excess moisture and humidity within that vegetation um wilt is a really big deal uh it's a bacterial disease um mildews as well so you know it, it 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 makes sense to not use overhead irrigation or sprinklers uh when it comes to a really a, a really big investment crop because if we're planting these in may and june and we're not going to be able to you know receive any sort of benefit or harvest off of them until the end of the season and we really only get one shot at this i am not going to take any chances to f this up okay um so that's you know something that we we really take into consideration um the other thing that you can tie back into irrigation too is that since this is a crop that has a long life um if you're doing a drip irrigation system it's very very easy very easy to irrigate or uh, fertigate, uh, fertilize directly through your drip line. Okay. Um, DRAM is an irrigation um, and water moving company. 
D R A M M, and they actually make like a little fourteen or fifteen dollar, um, basically uh, irrigation injector for dummies. Um, it's what we started with. They're so easy. I'm sure you can find them on Amazon. Um, they're they're wonderful um, because if you're doing this on a smaller scale and you notice, and you can use a, this DRAM irrigation injector or fertilizer injector for any crop okay it doesn't have to be just for mums you can use it for any crop um it it's, it's so easy you hook it up to a hose and then that is that fitting is going to um be connected right into your uh drip irrigation system and then you have a bucket of your fertilizer concentrate which you could do this with you know, compost teas, um, you, if you had some other voodoo mix that you've got worked up, go for it. You can run that through too. Just make sure that the particle size is small. Otherwise, you're going to plug the emitters in your drip line and then you're totally fucked. Um, so, uh, not speaking from experience there. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, you're good to go. Once you have your bucket of concentrate, you just have a little uh, siphon hose that is going to go into that bucket and then you turn the hydrant on and then she takes care of everything else for you so again the dram i think it's the dram siphon jet for some reason that's coming to mind um so i love those they they saved my ass for years when i was trying to figure out what was going on with our soil out in the field when you know we started doing flowers full-time um, because I w did not want to invest into, you know, a zillion uh, $250 um, big siphon or big uh, fertilizer injectors. So um, chemalizer is the other uh, uh, name that we use. Uh, and chemalizer injectors are the ones that we have in each of our big heated growing houses. Um, just because that we are we are going to be fertilizing at several different points over the growing season, regardless of what we're growing, whether it's lysianthus, mums, uh, dahlias, undercover, everything is just going to get a little more food um, because it's more of a demanding growing condition, um, and we need those plants to last and perform. Um, so we're we're going to be feeding them a little bit more than what we've got going out in the field. Um, okay, once you've got your irrigation plan ready to go. You are kind of, you know, ready for the next step because at this point we have our space, our uh, site prepped, our space prepped. Um, we've got a uh, mulch material of some capacity on hand, whether you're using uh, wood mulch, whether you're using landscape fabric, whatever the case is. We're using landscape fabric in the greenhouses. Um, we're, again, like I said, doing those on six inch spacing. And then you've got, you know, the last thing we just talked about, which is your irrigation plan and program prepped and put into place. Let's go back to that for one second. I'm sure I talked about this in the irrigation episode, but all of our three foot wide beds have four lines of drip tape. Just putting that out there. When it comes to planting out, which is the next, next thing we're going to talk about, um, you're going to want to do this after your frost uh, threat has, has come and gone. Um, can chrysanthemums take a little bit of a frost? Yes, they can. Um, it's probably not something I would suggest. We honestly, we did not get our mum cuttings planted out, I swear, until June, like the middle of June this year. 
and they were fine. Um, so, you know, really, no rush. Um, you're going to be okay, even if you get them planted out late. If you get them planted out early, good for you. Now you can take care of them longer. Anyway, um, we plant on six-inch spacing. Nine-inch spacing works fine, too. If you know that you do not have uh, good air circulation, maybe your location that you're growing in isn't very windy, you're definitely going to want to lean into more space uh, in between your plants. We're at the top of a valley here at the farm, and we really pretty much always, almost always, <laughs> almost always have a really good breeze. Um, it's a pain in the ass when it comes to needing to put new plastic on greenhouses, but when it comes to growing stuff, having a breeze is lovely. It's fantastic because when you have a consistent airflow, um, you can get by with planting things closer because that airflow is going to be taking out and removing some of that humidity and moisture that we need to kind of pay attention and, and be alert and aware of um, when it comes to, to growing. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, since we are planting on, on closer spacing, so six inch, um, this is really going to help us encourage longer laterals or side shoots, uh, which are what your, your flowers are going to come from. Um, if you're not growing these mums for cut flower production, which is totally fine, I long for the day when I can have a garden just to fuck around with. I think it's going to be so lovely. Who knows? I might just say F all this one day. And not today, though. Um, if you're doing this for garden and recreational, you can plant these even farther apart. Like, do whatever you want, girl. 12, 24 inches. Sure. Um, one thing I've learned, one thing I've learned is that the nor the um, early blooming varieties are typically a little bit shorter. So they're going to work better for a garden growing situation or environment. Um, so that would be totally fine and they and they would they would be able to hold themselves up i'm I'm thinking from like a plant support perspective too um oh i don't want to talk about that now we'll get to that in a minute see i'm gonna get ahead of myself here mm -mm -mm -mm. anyways okay planting out um few very basic principle things to remember when you're planting your cuttings make sure that you get the cell the soil cell below the soil surface kind of important right but it's always good to have a little re reminder. Um, make sure you're getting that plug nice and deep. Um, that that root system of the chrysanthemum, the variety, which this is a variety dependent, but sometimes those suckers will really, really get rooted in, especially if you find that you have a soil that's not super, super high in uh, nutrition, uh, nutrient, and organic matter. Those roots are really going to start to wander because they're looking for nutrient but if you've got soil that's you know got a shitload of organic matter and you just dump that compost on by the dump truck load um and you're, you're fertilizing regularly um and really keeping up on on plant needs you will notice that if you dig these out in the fall the root system is not going to be super super insane um, and we will notice that based on the house that we've got um, stuff growing in um 
you know, some of our houses are, you know, really maxed out on a nutrition perspective and some of them aren't. Um, so then when we dig those mothers out in the fall, we will really tell. And this is kind of where it comes into play or coming, taking notes and remembering things comes into play in a situation like this. Um, because if you know that you've got a space or a house that is going to produce a different product um, that you can relate back to nutrition, um, that is going to be an indicator for you of, oh, maybe I should, you know, add some compost to this space. Or maybe maybe I don't need to add compost to this house this year uh, because everything was performing just fine. Um, so things like that are, you know, another thing to, to keep in mind. Okay, moving on. Growing out uh, is going to be the next thing we talk about. Um, heirloom mums, and I would I would venture to say that this is going to be a- applicable for pretty much all mums. If you're growing garden mums, you could maybe pay attention to this, but no, garden mums are the same. Um, they're photosensitive. So this means that they're not going to set buds until your daylight hours reach a certain number. Um, now, I say this kind of makes sense or kind of matters. And in, in, on a big picture, it does. But there are a few varieties of mums that are more so oriented towards like commercial cut flower production, uh, like big time commercial, that are not photosensitive. Um, they, if you plant them, they will grow in a scheduled, you know, 90 days and they'll bloom in that 90 days. Um, whereas heirloom mums and garden mums are different because they they have that growth period and then they're really only going to set bud and those buds come into maturity when those daylight hours start to shrink. Um, so that's important. And another thing that's really, really, uh, ca- it, this can play a factor in a role depending on your uh, growing space. Um, make sure that you don't have your mums uh, planted next to um, a, a street light or a light uh, on by the driveway that stays on all night uh, because that's not going to let your your mums bloom because they're still going to you know recognize that as daylight hours um, so make sure that where you have these these plants planted um, they're going to be able to experience that natural uh, ebb and flow of, of day daylight and daytime hours um, that's important to to keep in mind and think about um okay next thing when it comes to growing out um is that you really need to be paying attention to the foliage and vegetation at this point in the season too um this is important for a couple different reasons um ph we've found really plays a role in well everything really but um mums can be hit by ph pretty hard um if you are seeing something um, like foliage is is looking just like really not right, um, and like the crown where um, or like the terminal bud, not the crown, the terminal bud of that stem. So like where the new leaves are forming, um, if that just like looks yellow or like almost white, and it's like stunted, and um, the leaves that it's producing are like just really like really effed up and maybe the plant is like starting to like drop leaves even um this could be a ph issue also 
Um, and, and we've, we've actually had this happen, um, more so when we've been growing con- mums in containers rather than in the ground. Um, but pH is something you need to pay attention to. Um, mums are really going to be the most comfortable from like 6.3 to 7, um, on your pH scale. Um, however, this, that pH, uh, can and will be impacted by your irrigation source. So if you know that your water doesn't align with that 6.3 to 7, um, there's a good chance that over time your your soil pH is going to change. Um, now, this is not the end of the world. This is not a big deal. Um, this is actually a very simple, easy fix. I would much, much rather have to handle and work through a pH issue rather than a disease issue. Um, because a, a soil pH problem like this, all we have to do is apply an acid fertilizer. And that acid fertilizer is going to usually uh, balance out our, our pH and no problem. Is this going to be a little bit of a delay? Yes, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to production, um, a pH issue, by the time that you can recognize it, treat it, and then move on, you're going to lose about 10 to 14, maybe two, a little more than two weeks of growth. Um, so you really need to be vigilant um, and, and, and pay attention to what's going on. Um, but remember, the, the big thing here too is since we are in the growing out stage, which is going to be the most, which where we spend the most time um, when it comes to growing mums, is we want to make sure that we are maintaining higher nitrogen levels. Higher nitrogen levels are going to make sure that our leaves are nice and big and dark green. The larger the leaf uh, production that you've got going on, the more chlorophyll production that you've also got going on, which is more food for the plant to, you know, it's, it's, it all, it all, it all plays together here. Um, so nitrogen is so, so important. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about for today's episode is pinching and supporting, um, which a lot of people have questions on. And it's super easy to like understand why there's so many questions because there really is no one right or wrong way to do things. So like, um, you you could probably say, well, hey, dumbass, um, you always say that like there's more than one way to like do stuff, and there is. But like when we're talking about uh, like nutritional requirements, like we know that plants need this to achieve this. Um, but when it comes to pinching and um, editing a plant in any way possible or in, in any way. Um, it is very much grower dependent because it's not an, an it's not a necessity in order for that plant to, you know, fully carry out its its processes. It's where we are interfere intervening to make that plant do what we want it to do, um, but it's really not uh, needed for for that plant to survive. Um, so, when we're talking about pinching. Um, what that means is you're going to remove um, a certain part of the plant. Um, and, and when we're talking about pinching and, and cutting back chrysanthemums um, in particular, we're usually going to be removing the upper third of the plant, um, but that's kind of going to, to depend on you know how soon we got that plant or that plug planted in the spring, how large it is, how fast it's been growing, where the plugs, you know, kind of root bound going into it. So it took them a while to work through that. 
um, you know, what, what what's that situation looking like? Um, but let's say, hypothetically, we've got a, a chrysanthemum stand or crop that's roughly 10 inches tall. Um, the reason we would want to pinch that back is we want to get that plant to produce more laterals or side shoots. Um, so in order for us to get to do that, we need to remove that upper third, which is going to take out the uh, terminal bud, which is where the new growth is currently coming from. Um, and it's then going to put energy into producing new terminal buds and new stems via the nodes. And the node is where the leaf and the stem connect. Um, and within that, there's a whole lot of really magical stuff that, that goes on. Um, and in that node, um, when we are, are editing the plant, the, the plant's reaction or response is to give us the big old middle finger and say, you can't kill me and keep growing, which is fantastic because that's what we want. Um, so let's say we have um, a plant, like I said, 10 inches tall, we take off that top third. Um, that's going to roughly give us like two to three uh, really healthy side shoots from that point on but that's still not quite enough um, I want more um, so then I would go into with a second pinching or second round of cut um, so again now our plant is maybe 10 inches tall 12 inches um, after the first pinch it's re regrowed grown again and we can go back through and remove all of those terminal buds on those laterals. Um, and then that's going to give us another set of laterals, which will re result in more stems for us to use. So all of that is, is readily available um, as far as options for you to get more stems off of these plants. I was reading through the ball um, grower's guide for their chrysanthemums that they released a couple weeks ago. And... Um, Lots of information there. Really, really great information. Uh, so if you think I'm going to talk shit, that's it, not happening. Um, but what I did think was interesting is that they, in in the, the grower's guide, said to um, only leave, what was it, like six to nine leaves still on the planted plant. Um, and, and I think that's great. I think that's a really, like, very straightforward you know, target, it, it gives growers and gardeners, you know, a, a physical number uh, to, to, to work off of. So I think that if you're starting out and you're new, this, that's a really great rule of thumb is to leave six to nine because that's how many stems you should hopefully expect. Um, but I can tell you that from personal experience, especially with the varieties that we're running, not every leaf that you leave on that plant is going to produce a stem at the node. Um, so it's really something you're going to need to kind of, you know, play by ear, do some trials and tests. You know, it is very interesting for us to, you know, when we're harvesting in the fall, find a plant that wasn't pinched at all. Um, maybe it was just a little slower, a little stunted, um, but it is really, a, it's a great learning opportunity for uh, the crew and for you to do a, a trial and a test like this on your own um, to see what an unedited plant looks like because this, the stem will be very, very much different um, than something that was pinched. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's a wonderful learning opportunity. We'll say that. Um, and that's the other thing with, with gnomes too, is these, this crop in particular does take a while to really wrap your mind around, for sure. Now, 
if you're pinching, um, especially, especially, especially on later blooming varieties, you are really going to need uh, some support of some capacity. And even if you're not pinching, if you're leaving it in totally intact, you're still going to need a support because these suckers get real tall. Um, and when we're growing for cuts, we're, for production-wise, we're growing in a bed system. So we're not growing these, you know, one pot at a time or in a small little cluster in, in the landscape. We're, we're growing, you know, a 96-foot or 100-foot bed at a time. Um, and within that three-foot-wide bed, we have a lot of plants. And as we pinch repeatedly, we're getting more and more stems. So this, this bed is getting more and more valuable as the season goes on. Because we're continuing to, you know, invest t time and labor into this crop. So in order for us to make sure that we are, you know, able to harvest as much off of these beds as possible, we really need to introduce some level of plant support. And when you're pinching, this is a great time to bring in that support system um, because it, it, it's where you are removing a part of the plant. So you're cutting it down in height. And you want to make sure that you're getting your plant support introduced before all of the stems really start to mature and um, get going. Because once the stem starts to elongate and you have finished pinching, um, then you, you have kind of missed the window. Because it's a real pain in the ass to have to introduce um, plant supports when the stems are elongating and they're getting too tall and... The buds are being set and you just you have a mess on your hands so what we do for plant supports and i've talked about this before um and in previous episodes is we a couple years ago started making um metal support cages um, and it's a very straightforward process um so from our local hardware store, we get a five foot wide by, gosh, I don't even know if it's 150 or 300 feet roll, uh, might be 150 um, foot roll of uh, cement reinforcement wire, and it comes on a roll. It's not a panel. Uh, if you, if they're trying to sell you a pre-cut panel, check the dimensions on it. Uh, it's those, the pre-cut panels are usually a thicker gauge and they're a lot larger in size. Um, so we need a five foot wide um, roll. And then once we got that here on the farm, um, we cut those, we roll the roll out and cut it into uh, 12 foot sections. And um, once that section is cut, we now have a five foot by 12 foot uh, piece. And then from there, we're going to fold in the sides um, so that we, so um, you're looking at the, <laughs> at this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, piece of wire uh, that you have cut and uh, you're, you're folding in um, on the long sides, uh, 12 inches. So the wonderful thing about cement reinforcement wire um, on the rolls like this is that the wire grid is welded together. Um, with a very even spacing, spacing of six inches. Um, so each square within this panel is six inches. So you know that as you're folding or as you're counting off squares to, to know where to cut, um, everything is always going to be the same. It's going to be consistent. Um, so we fold in the two sides, and what we're doing is we're basically making an upside-down U um, that's going to straddle our bed. 
Um, so once we have everything folded in, we've got a 12 foot or a 12 inch rise or a one foot rise on each side and then three feet in the middle. And that's going to fit over our bed perfectly. And as we continue to pinch back and get these um, cages introduced to the beds, um, it, they're, they're really quite perfect because you have to take into consideration or you think about like, okay, a support line on that bed at 12 inches high probably isn't going to do the most um, impact and effort or, you know, it's not going to be the, the biggest, um, I can't think of the word here, um, improvement, introduction, something like that along those lines um, when it comes to a crop that does get very tall. But these these flowers aren't going to get super duper tall until long after we've been heating this house and we're not going to have this house open when we're heating it so we're eliminating all of the outside wind presence so with that factored in we're really only you know needing the support to help keep these plants up minimally is it very important? Yes, absolutely. Because as you walk through the rows, if you didn't have, um, you know, some level of support there, if you knock one stem over, the next one's going to fall over, and then it's just going to be a big domino effect. And gravity will also do that on its own um, as the plants continue to grow and move throughout the day. So you do need some level of support there, but we've been able to get through just fine with one layer of the plant supports. So that's how we do it. And then the, one, the other wonderful thing about those metal plant cages, too, is that they last forever. Like, they're good for years and years and years and years and years. And it is, you know, something that, you know, every year we get a roll of wire to, to make more or make, you know, replacements if one got mangled by the tractor or it got ran over by the lawnmower or whatever. Um, you know, shit like that happens, but we can just replace it and it's okay. So... All right, kiddos, um, that's all for this week's episode. Next week, um, we're going to finish talking about all of the mum wonderfulness. Um, so I will see you then. Um, I am excited. I have this little pamphlet printout in front of me, this little booklet, and I'm excited to see these out into the world. I really am. I need to get these on the website very soon um, and uh, get these out and into your hands. So thank you for being here. Um, hold your questions until you hear next week's episode because I know that there's lots of topics in regards to mums that we haven't touched on today. Um, so hold that thought till next week. Um, follow us on social media, clarajoyceflowers.com. We have rooted cuttings still available um, for heirloom chrysanthemums for spring shipping. Um, the earlier shipping weeks are now all fold foot they are all full and um we have later shipping weeks available now i just checked it and i think i open nope i took another week off to today um so i think we only have two shipping weeks still available for spring uh 2023 so go ahead check that out asap get your order in um depending on your streaming platform for today's episode please feel free to like comment and subscribe to our podcast to be notified when new ones are available which lucky for you is every week, every Friday, usually in the morning, and then you can listen to it on the weekend or the next week or whenever the hell you want. So thanks for being here. I'll see you next week and have a good life and don't die and don't do anything stupid. And um, 
if you do die, then I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.